cliffcentral.com. Let's get into a little African analysis. It's, of course, brought to you by the Johannesburg Business School. And here is none other than JJ Cornish. Good morning, JJ. How are you? Bonjour to you all. I'm immensely well. You know, good. Jack, I was watching my good friend uh, Donald Trump yesterday moving <laughs> around uneasily on that hard wooden court chair mm. and a huge splinter lodged itself in his butt oh, and yes. his feelings were badly badly affected by this <laughs> he turned on the prosecutor called her a hack he sulked and he, he said terrible things to every one of the members of the trial jury or oh, there's no jury just the judge even took on the judge now do you care or do you not care for his feelings and would you help him get that splinter out big guy do you see what i'm doing right now do you see me <laughs> the world's smallest violin yeah <laughs> <laughs> right there. I'm playing that for, 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 for Mr. So Donald Trump. I, right guess there. That, I guess that's a no then. Yeah, no, hell no. Sorry, JJ. No, no sympathy here. None whatsoever. <laughs> I say thank goodness for the International Red Cross then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's talk a little bit about Uganda because they have banned the sale of secondhand clothing. Now, this is an interesting subcategory of, of the textile industry. Yoweri Museveni has railed against being kicked out of the U.S. duty-free access program, which we know as AGOA. Uh, Uganda was not booted because of the used clothing. But explain this to us, because we've got AGOA in place for South Africa, don't we? Well, indeed we do. You know, AGOA, uh, um, it was so interesting, so uh, considerate of uh, Yoweri Museveni to get booted out of AGOA because we kept that used clothing story. We didn't get round to it last time. Mm. And, you know, I was trying to find a fresh angle, and there it was. Essentially, he doesn't want Ugandans to get used clothing or to buy it because it's cheaper to do uh, because it's he, he says it's from dead people mm. and he's banned it. Now, other countries, including Rwanda, have done this before, in each case trying to boost the local fabric uh, industry, local clothing industry. But the population have said, we, we're not paying the prices that you are asking. And they've had to bring back used clothing. I don't know if Yoweri Museveni will do that. I think he earns quite enough to buy brand new clothing. Mm. But uh, so essentially, uh, he's... he's uh, you know, spiking his people um, with this uh, rather ridiculous thing. The most used clothing, by the way, Gareth, comes not from the United States, as one would have thought, but from China. Oh, surprise, surprise. billion. Yeah. I mean, this is the problem, yeah. right? When you try to uh, artificially lift or lower the market, you, you learn some hard lessons. And I think this is probably what's going to happen because ordinary Ugandans will get the best clothing they can at the cheapest price. And if it comes from China, which it's likely to, or even India then there's no way that Uganda can compete. We know because our local textile industry in South Africa has been completely decimated by the very same. The ability for the Chinese and the Indians to, to hop in on this market, and the Vietnamese, it has to be said, hop in on this market and produce far more at far less. That's what's going to win. But what is the African Growth and Opportunities Act? And what is it meant to do, JJ? Y2K, Bill Clinton, uh, 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 Bill Clinton brought in AGOA, African Growth and Opportunities Act. Countries that met certain standards in the United States, with the United States, in other words, good governance, uh, good human rights records, and mm. that, that didn't uh, do anything injurious to the security uh, of the United States, 
were given duty-free access to U.S. markets. I think 18,000 goods. Now, South Africa was never really meant to be in a beneficiary of a go and is by a sea mile the greatest beneficiary. So politicians on both sides of the of the aisle say that South Africa really shouldn't be in a goa. Uh, and, and I know Willilian Schlappel, the former ambassador to uh, United States, he had and, and his predecessor uh, had been battling to keep South Africa there because, of course, it's enormously beneficial. You know, things from jeans to used clothing mm. to, uh, to roses, because I know Kenya, that's its biggest export, uh, motor cars, the uh, Mercedes and BMWs that we assemble here go into uh, the United States duty-free. Uh, and the reason why some p people want to keep us out because like any good uh, 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 political system what matters in the united states is what matters to your constituents so a politician's position on anything is going to be what matters most to his or her constituents it's like diplomacy there's no such friend thing as friends there's only interests and right. so when they say oh well we're getting out we're going to be kicked out of a goa because of our position on, I don't know, on Israel or on Ukraine. It's not that at all. It's simply that we are getting doing too well out of it. N nevertheless, uh, that AGOA has been renewed once and it's due to be renewed again, or it fails or falls in 2025. And the push at the AGOA meeting uh, last week uh, was to get uh, it renewed, to push the United States to renew it. So countries like Lesotho do terribly well out of it because of their fabrics. Countries that, uh, uh, and, and four countries were kicked off, Uganda, um, uh, well, let me think, the, the countries that had coups and other countries that, uh, so it would have been Guinea and it would have been uh, uh, Gabon, Gabon in, in, and, and, and Niger, of course, all countries that were once great friends of the West. Uh, Mali and uh, other countries were kicked off before that. So Mauritania sounds, has been brought in. I mean, it sounds to me almost yeah. like a, this is the the tool that we will use to either punish you or to uh, reward you. The carrot or the stick. Yeah, for mm. being for being a, a proxy for us in Africa, signed the USA. Is is that fair or is that just an oversimplification? I think that's fair enough. Uh, you know, a, a lot of people, you know, uh, a lot of my friends in the ANC refer to it as bullying, uh, which, of course, the United States does enormously well, uh, and uh, telling countries how to behave. You yep. behave this way, and we'll make it good for you. It's ironic that the, I mean, the, the, the ANC could do with a little more bullying, if you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. The thing is, though, uh, a lot of countries, I think the 37 countries that are now beneficiaries of AGOA, uh -huh. and they and they do very well out of it. So, sure. uh, yes, uh, carrot and stick thing. And, uh, you know, it, if they step wrong, the thing about it, South Africa hasn't really uh, uh, hesitated to stick its finger in the eye of the American bald eagle when it when it feels like it. And it's still in, Ango uh, in AGOA. So, uh, uh, right. you know, it's a system that, uh, um, yes, can be said to be uh, bullying, but it, it's it's working right now, and I hope it gets renewed because I think it's beneficial. Let's quickly uh, refer to what's going on in Sudan, and then I want to talk about 
migration, which is obviously still a big, if not the biggest issue between Africa and Europe. But let's talk about Sudan. They've, uh, the paramilitaries have seized control of a third military base in the Darfur region. That poor region and those poor people who live there. Um, they've now abducted women and girls and are holding them in slave-like conditions. How is this happening in 2023, JJ? You know, how did it happen in the 80s when Darfur was the world's worst humanitarian crisis? It would be that again, except that, you know, it's been surpassed by places like uh, Gaza and uh, Ukraine. And, uh, you know, but I mean, it's, it's, it's there or thereabouts. And uh, the RSF, the Rapid Support Forces, have concentrated very heavily on uh, Darfur. Darfur, of course, to the west of Sudan, and it's largely a... Uh, 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 Bantu population or, or black population. And, you know, you have this dichotomy between the Arab and black populations of Sudan. And uh, so, so and, and then, of course, there's tribal reasons there and the, the whole question of elders and so on that have always had it s separated. It's felt marginalized, and that's why there was a strong independence movement. That's why the government cracked down on it, and that's why peacekeepers from around the world, including South Africa, were sent there. I've been to Darfur three times, and, I mean, it was parlous at that time. Uh, it, it, it seemed to be improving, but now with this battle between the rapid support forces and the military, it's back in, and it's uh, uh, people are suffering more there now, I'm told, by people I speak to there, than they did in the in in the 80s. It's really really awful. Is there a and, is uh, there a religious the, element to to the separation between the powerful and the, and the less powerful there as well? I, indeed, yes. I think a lot of Darfur is not is not Muslim, and uh, and uh, you know would would have uh, Christianity. So it, it there there is that racial and religious divide, and and that is why it sets itself apart, and it always has, and it's always made demands of the Sudanese government, which they had refused to uh, relent to, but then were forced by international pressure. But now, of course, uh, nobody tells the RSF what to do. Equally, nobody dares tell the military what to do. Mm. And the two sides, and I've said this to you before, the reason why the, the, the peace talks, which of course have resumed in Jeddah, uh, in the last couple of weeks, the reason why they have failed is that both sides believe in their hearts that they can win this battle. And while they do this, you know, it doesn't matter what happens to the people of Sudan, they'll keep fighting. It strikes me as absolutely amazing that in London over the last couple of days, we've had protests of millions of people for Gaza and the open air and invited, in inverted commas prison that Gaza is. And there is an actual open air prison in Darfur, according mm -hmm. to what you've just described to us. And there are clear indications that one side is trying to prevail over the other at, at all costs. There's also what's going in, uh, on in, uh, in China with the Uyghurs yep. that nobody seems to be talking about. You can't get one person to protest in London for either of those causes where there is far more in terms of just numbers suffering. And yet, you know, it's just the world's fo focus is on, on this tiny strip of land between uh, Egypt and Israel, isn't it? It's just amazing to me. It's this cheap happens. mentality. It's, it's what, whatever Wild. seems like the, the, the trend at that point uh, in time is where everyone flocks. You remember the, the Black Lives Matter yeah, exactly. situation? Yeah, exactly. Now I can't even watch a soccer match without politics being thrown in the middle of All the game. All because of one guy who overdosed. Um, <sighs> So, so JJ, you know, you know, Gareth, I was invited to Israel, and uh, they took great pride in the fact that their 
position is the focus of international attention, more international attention on what happens in Israel than anywhere else in the world. And it's it's funny. I mean, people, you know, countries become addicted to it. I can remember South Africans when international observers stopped attending our elections, grew very angry and said, why are they not interested in our elections anymore? And I said, no, it's not that they're not interested. It's they're not afraid that they're going to be jippoed. And that's why they're not sending huge teams of international observers. But it, it was odd to me that the, mm. the Israelis should feel that way about it. But that is the reality. And of course, you're not right in saying nobody says anything about uh, uh, the Uyghurs. Nobody says anything about what's happening. Well, you in don't see there are, of they're, course, they're not million man protests, that's for sure. No, certainly not that size. Certainly mm. not that size. Mm. But the, 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 the fact that the Middle East is the most popular issue at the moment is not surprising to me because it has been over the years, mm. you know, ever since uh, me, the, the establishment of the state of Israel. So that doesn't surprise me. Let me, in the, in the very little time we have left, just quickly talk about the Canary Islands because this is a place which becomes the focus of an ongoing immigration crisis in Europe and um, from Africa to Europe. I also saw a Gallup poll not so long ago that said that one-third of sub-Saharan Africans don't want to be in sub-Saharan Africa. In other words, they would leave if given half a chance. Hmm. Now, that's sub-Saharan Africa. Obviously, there are areas north of that that it's even worse to live in, like Libya or Algeria. So what's happening in the Canary Islands? Or Eritrea, where they call you up until the age of, what, 80 or something. The thing about it is... uh, you know, you think that you think what's well, a short hop across to the Canaries. It's not a short hop by any means. It's 1,600 kilometers descends upstream. You know, you're mm. uh, sailing upwards. It takes 11 days. It takes all your life savings to pay the people. Now, the, the numbers on uh, in, in uh, something like 2006. 31,000 people got to the Canaries. It's a stopping point. It belongs to Spain. Mm-hmm. And it's like uh, Soita and Melilla, the two little enclaves in Morocco. Once you get there, you're actually in Spain. And you then have uh, can try to get, to get refugee status and move to other parts of Europe. That's what happens with the Canaries. 2,000 people have gone to the Canaries, have uh, disembarked there. And it's a real problem for them because they're small islands. They can't take that number of uh, refugees or migrants, as, as they prefer to be called. And most of them have come from Senegal. Now, when you look at African countries with problems, Senegal doesn't number at the top anywhere near it. It's not, you know, there's no uh, human rights violations. There's no major conflict there. There's a separatist group from Casamance and so on. But it's so it's odd that they should come from Senegal. That that would support the argument of those who take a rather hard line saying, well, these are not people fleeing conflict and oppression, but these are economic migrants and you know people who want a better life and and certainly one in three uh, one third that doesn't surprise me that figure you know they come to south africa we take a huge number a country like uganda takes a disproportionate number of of immigrants more power to it for that but they are people from conflict zones around it but uh, the the others that go, are going to the canaries are from gambia Mm-hmm. Uh, again, a, a country in 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 some sort of turmoil. Mauritania, 
uh, a country that's just, as I mentioned earlier, been brought into a Goa, uh, Goa and Morocco, which of course is 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 a frightening country. If you oppose the system in Morocco, your life is miserable. JJ, I'm afraid that's all we got time for. I'd, I'd love to carry this on, and perhaps we can in two weeks' time. African analysis brought to you by the Johannesburg Business School. JJ Cornish, thank you very much. Lovely being with you. Good to see you. Cliffcentral.com.